Hello and welcome to Ad Creeps, uh, the podcast where we dissect and correct the TV ads that raised us, phased us, and even amazed us. Wow. My name is Alan. I'm here with my best buddy. That was like, it was like you're reminiscent. It was contemplative. Of all the ads that came before us. Aww. And all the ads that are going to continue on. Wow. Wow. I like to think that... Um, this podcast will go on for as long as we care to do it. Oh, yeah. But, like, like in the future, when someone's Googling a ad, that in those Google resu- results, even after we stop the podcast and we're long gone... Um, we'll come up. We'll, we'll come up. up. We'll pop up. Like, hey there. Hey there. Well, right now we are... If you Google ad creeps, what ad creeps is, we're the first thing that comes up. That's SEO, baby. (laughs) We are the ad creeps, (laughs) which is a problem when I used to teach econ and I used to teach about ad creeps. And then (laughs) the kids, (laughs) the kids uh, clicked on our our podcast are like, is this you, teacher? I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) No, that's some other guy. Well, I was wearing a mask. It was during a lot, during Uh, COVID. So, like, they can't see the lower half of my face. They don't know what's under there. Anything could be down there. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, oh, boy. Do you want to play a game? I always want to play a game. (laughs) Okay. We're going to start off this episode with a few rounds of Would You Rather. (laughs) I'm going to name some medicines, and I want you to tell me which you'd rather take. But I don't know what they're for. No. It's so it's only just, the names to go this on. This is the very, this is very D, because I just go by vibe. Yeah. Um, so, so I was like, what medicine name has the best vibe? Mm-hmm. Or worst vibe? Okay, go on. Dr. Baffy's asthma cigarettes, or <gasps> Bickmore's mortician powder. Uh, the cigarettes. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Absolutely easy. I'll help your asthma. Or just allow me to smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Drake oil or British oil. Drake oil. Well, it is petroleum. Well, or I could turn into a dragon. (laughs) Maybe. So. Hamlin's wizard oil (laughs) or Hill's balsam of honey. This is like Sophie's choice. (laughs) I think the balsam of honey is safer. But I'm I'm gonna go with wizard oil. You're living on the edge. I want to be a wizard. <laughs> Godfrey's cordial. Oh. Or Nathaniel Godbold's vegetable balsam. Cordial. Come on. You don't trust Nathaniel Godbold? What was a vegetable? What balsam? Look, I'm a Vegemite boy, but <laughs> I don't I don't know what that's hanging out okay. like. That's <laughs> Bromo seltzer. Oh. Or. Effervescent brain salt. Bro-mo. 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 There's always a right answer to Bro-homo. <laughs> I love these. Walcott's instant pain annihilator. Oh, I need that. Or Mrs. Windlow's soothing syrup. <sighs> Can you say those again? Walcott's instant pain annihilator or Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. These are the two genders. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the pain annihilator because I need something strong. I got to tell you, I think 80% sure they both have morphine in them. Well, <laughs> <laughs> as did everything. Oh, Deleuze or Dr. Steers, a puddle dock. Sorry. A, p- a puddle dock. <laughs> I, w- I don't want loose. Oh, Deleuze. That's like, it reminds me of like loose bowels. <laughs> so. Well, though I could, you know what though? I could use that. 
Yeah, that's Maybe true. Maybe it's just coffee. You, you might have to pass up on Dr. Steer's Apodal Doc. Dr. Steer, though. Come on. <laughs> you can't. That cow can't be a doctor. Sorry. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Yeah. Or lithiated 7-Up. Lithiated 7-Up. Does that have lithium in it? They used to put lithium in 7-Up. Hell yeah! <laughs> We're going with the uncola. Yeah, you got to. We got to. You got to get that cocaine. <laughs> now, as I'm sure you've guessed, these are all the names of early patent medicines. We, oh, we love a snake oil salesman. The great thing about patent medicine was that you could call it whatever you wanted, and you didn't have to say what was in it. I feel... So I don't believe in, like, past lives. Yeah. But if I did, <laughs> I think I would be so well suited to be a snake oil salesman. Absolutely. Number one, traveling around the country in a little wagon. Number two, cute little outfit. Yeah. Number three, shim sham. <laughs> You're great at shim. You're great at not only shim sham, but also flim flam. I, the shim sham and the flim flam would be off the him ham. Now, do you know the origins of the term snake oil? It wasn't there a, a one that was called snake oil? Well, there. so there are a few um, practices like uh, Chinese medicine and the Hopi people that yeah. actually do um, like medicine with literal oil from snakes in okay. it. And then all these white guys were like, try this snake oil that I've made. And ah. then people were like, there's literally no snake. This is 0% snake, man. <laughs> you got to get your snake You got to get at least a little bit of snake in there. <laughs> at least 3% snake. So, yeah, that was what... Oh, interesting. And then from then on, people that were, you know, selling flim flam were I just, snake oil. I would love to be paid to lie. That would be the best. I mean, this is a podcast. You can do whatever you want on here. But we don't get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is the missing part. <laughs> Sometimes I lie when teaching. Hmm. Sometimes I just lie. You just tell a little lie? Yeah. <laughs> Kids don't care. <laughs> <sighs> so you, in the in the days of patent medicine, yeah. you could take, say, petroleum from your newly drilled well and call it mineral oil and <sighs> say it could cure rheumatism and arthritis, among other things. And th that's like drinking it, not rubbing on your... Yeah. Yeah. Consuming mm -hmm. petroleum. Consuming. Or you could take some morphine and call it baby's first night-night juice. It, and boy, it was. And make yourself a tight little wad of cash. It would also be baby's last night-night juice. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> That was until that communist bleeding heart Teddy Roosevelt signed, <laughs> signed the 1906 Pure Foot and Drug Act, forcing so many innocent businessmen to disclose on their packaging exactly how many opioids they were putting in their tonics. You know, just on the surface, Roosevelt, who was a Republican, did, <laughs> did, did like things that I agree with, right? National yeah. park systems, the regulation of medicines, the regulation of um, monopolies, like big businesses. But then you scratch and you get to racism oh yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> famously hated indigenous people oh yeah <laughs> i want the national parks but no one can live on it <laughs> a real bastard real bastard but uh, those rough riders though <laughs> as we've previously discussed on the pod it was it was this law the pure food and drug act that led to the creation of the federal food and drug agency or yeah. the fda yeah our friend and yours <laughs> But what about when it came to prescription medication, the oh. kind you can't just buy right off the shelf? Ugh. With the 1906 legislation turning many substances into prescription-only drugs, mm. the lack of any oversight or federal regulatory control on drug testing or, or ingredients continued to create problems. So did they change... This is really interesting. Um, did they change the ones that needed a prescription because it had side effects that 
they were maybe worried about. Like they're 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 they were good for something, but also the side effects needed to be monitored. What well, was their choice? It was, was like thing? at this point, this was the point at which they started to quote control substances. Okay. So uh, you know, things that were addictive or had, mm. you know, massive effects. Okay. Okay. Like opioids or marijuana. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay. And, and then, then the same thing with like alcohol where they're like, yeah. we're, we maybe should control this a little because it does have some side effects in that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I always wonder because I remember reading a thing where Claritin yeah. was prescription only. Mm-hmm. And then they said, no, 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 anyone can take it. And I was always wondering what the, what the uh, 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 checklist was for that. Yeah, I think that was pro- probably would have been a little closer to mid-century. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. no, that's that's a good question. Yeah. In 1937, the S.E. Mass and Gill Company out of Bristol, Tennessee, mm. created a product called elixir sulfanilamide. Okay. They tested the drug for viscosity, appearance, and fragrance. <laughs> but not safety. Even adding raspberry-flavored powder oh. into the sulfanilamide before wow. dissolving it into a solvent. Solvent. Is that a goo? Uh, solvent, yeah, something to take the powder and make it a liquid or like a oh. elixir type. Oh, form. oh, oh, okay. A quote elixir type. <laughs> <laughs> now, sulfanilamide on its own is still used today to treat yeast infections. Oh. But the issue with Massengill's product is that it was dissolved into a substance called diethylene glycol in order to make it, you know, like liquidy. Okay. And diethylene glycol, she's not great for humans. Oh, no. <laughs> Especially up your hoo hoo. Well, this was, and this was for drinking, though. Oh, oh, okay. So it was a yeast infection, like, almost... Well, I mean, back in the day, they used it for a ton of different stuff. Today, it's used for yeast Yeast infections. infections. Got it, got it, got it. As the liquid base for Massengill's elixir sulfanilamide, diethylene glycol resulted in at least 100 poisoning deaths. Jesus Christ. The owner of the company's response to the incident refused any culpability. They just didn't do it right. We have been supplying a legitimate professional demand and not once have foreseen the unlooked for results. I did not feel that there was any responsibility on our part. <laughs> so we sold it. Yeah. But isn't well, we it possibly on us. known? It couldn't. We Hypo- couldn't possibly. Hypothetically, they could have tested it for safety when, in addition to whether it looked and tasted nice. When people are like, no, no big business, like yeah. just trust big business to the, do the right thing. Y'all, they won't. They won't. They would never. Because if there's no law saying they have to, and there wasn't... They just won't. They're not going to do it. It's like people don't understand history. (laughs) And then the result of this is, well, we get a new law. I hate the people who are like, business is our friends. No. Business is not your friends. First of all, not people. Second of all, not friends. They don't (laughs) give a shit. MasterCard is not a queer ally. (laughs) Yeah. So because of this uh, Mass and Gill incident, uh, a new law was created. The 1938 Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act required Mm. drug companies to prove that their products were safe through animal testing and to submit their data for approval to the FDA before being allowed to market their product to clinicians with slogans like, a new standard in tranquilization, or Mm -hmm. now she can cook breakfast again. Two real slogans. Can I tell you a really interesting thing about animal testing that I found out yesterday? Please. And I might do an ad creep about it. Who knows? I found it. You know those dog cloning things? Yeah. Okay. This is a uh, trigger warning. Very sad if you're dog deaf. But how they do it is they they have like animal testing like dog puppy mills. Oh. And they impregnate like a bunch of dogs for like surrogate dogs. And the puppies that come out usually ain't right so the amount of 
puppies that they have to euthanize to get one clone dog is like could be hundreds. That you know what? It's so sad. It's not surprising. It's not. I just didn't. You never think about how this. So how? you're paying like ten thousand dollars for a clone or yeah. whatever. But like literally, you're euthanizing like hundreds of puppies. How many weird ass sheep you think they made before they came up with right? Dolly? That's what I was thinking. Just like wild. At least one was sentient. Oh yeah, and they they got rid of that one real quick. <laughs> they said you're done. Anyway, so it's not it, they don't have to do any like because it's doesn't have an effect on humans. Like they don't have to go through animal te- like animal testing rules. Yeah, yeah. This was just you have to test things for safety on animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just was thinking about man. <laughs> There's a lot of weird things we do with animals. That is effed up. Yeah. So the 40s were the beginning of the post-patent marketing boom for prescription drugs, Mm. with teams of expensive consultants being hired to scour dictionaries and thesauri (gasps) to come up with pleasant vowel sounds and vaguely related phonemes to submit to the FDA alongside their trial results. I think you'd be good at that. I think I would, too. I'd be a flim-flam man. I used to want to be uh, the person that names crayon colors. Oh, you'd be really good with that. Thank you. Yeah, your good language and use of colors, you'd be ace. Aw, you're... You flatter me. Let's apply right now. Let's apply. Is that open? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is where we get the names for prodigious mid-century uppers and downers like (sighs) Quaalude, Milltown, Ah. Mornadine, Valium, Melaril, and Cerax. To Milltown? Milltown was a hugely popular, especially in Hollywood, sedative. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. It was, I, I didn't know either. I was very surprised to see how, and it was like, it was one of the housewife pills, you know? Oh, those housewife, you mean the Nancy Reagan specials? Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Everyone was doing these. Uh, Milton Burl even joked that he should change his name to Milltown Burl because how much he <laughs> consumed them. God. And you could get a Miltini, which was like a <gasps> martini with a Milltown in it. And it would just be a downer. Yeah. It'd be a downer and a downer. Oh my a God. A double downer. A double downer. That's what they call us. <laughs> The new sandwich from KFC. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Thank you. And while these little helpers were hitting their boom in the late 50s, another major shift in drug legislation was on the horizon. Okay. In 1946, former Nazi party member Hermann Wirtz Sr. founded Chemie Grunenthal, the first company to reintroduce penicillin to the West German market once the Allied Control Council's prohibition of the drug had lifted. Oh, okay. Grunenthal's head of research, Heinrich Muchter, a former Nazi scientist who had experimented on prisoners in concentration camps and faced absolutely no prosecution, synthesized a new drug for the market in 1954 and acquired a 20-year patent under the trade name Gripex as a sedative for treating respiratory infections. And it was a type of penicillin. No, the penicillin was... They did that and this is... And then they did the other thing. Okay, okay. The company found that the drug was particularly effective for pregnant women who were struggling with morning sickness. Oh, no. I know this. They didn't run any trials with this specific group. I know this. Yeah. I wrote a paper on this in university. In 1957, the company shifted gears and began to market the drug specifically as an anti-emetic and wonder drug for insomnia, coughs, colds, and headaches. Thousands of pregnant women took the drug, more infamously known by its scientific name, thalidomide. Okay, so this was, it was a German product yeah. made by Nazis. Yeah, and like, I only mentioned two Nazis, there were at least so three many more. So many Nazis. But then it went worldwide, like, it was in North America as well? Uh, well, we're going to talk about North America specifically. Okay, okay. okay. But yeah, and it was marketed as Gripex and then Contergan, and then yeah, it, it spread worldwide. Jeez Louise. 
At the time in West Germany, products did not need to be tested for what are called teratogenic effects, meaning... What's teratogenic? Meaning differences in physiological development. In this case, the developing fetus of the women taking the drug. I always find that difficult because, like, how do you test that? Because you would have to test it on women? Well, what, women with babies? Like, how would you... I mean, yeah, you would have to... It would not... I don't, I don't know about the ethical... Yeah, of testing it. <laughs> but that, in order to find... I mean, I, I assume uh, there are ways that you could do animal testing that would find oh, that okay. out. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but... To some piggies. Yeah. Oh, then the piggies ain't right. Okay. I always wondered about that. Yeah, so uh, teratogenic effects. Cancer also has teratogenic yeah. effects. Okay. Things like dioxin... A lot of chemicals that we've oh, talked about in the past yeah, yeah, because yeah. they cause physiological changes that are, you know, outside of, quote, the norm. So cells go wild. The pro- the proteins are not folding correctly. No, you got to fold in those proteins. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This was, to put it lightly, a public health disaster yeah. affecting over 10,000 children in Jesus 45 countries. Christ. The effect on the physical development of the fetus is so great, it can be pinpointed by what day of pregnancy the drug <gasps> is taken on. No! So they, they, really? they even know, like, if you take it on day 20, it affects this system. If you uh, take it on day 21, it affects this set of limbs. If you take it on, you know. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because that, that's, like, the time period of when that, when specific, that fetus is growing. Yeah. Wow. And then there's a certain point where if you take it, it won't have any effect on the fetus because the fetus is already developed. It's already done. Okay. It's done cooking. It's it's done. It's in the oven. It's done. Oh, interesting. I don't know how pregnancy works, but is it, is it like, because it was for morning sickness. Well, yeah. And other things. Because it was an anti-emetic, so it would stop you from vomiting or it would like stop you from having nausea. And that happens, I think like really, really early. Yeah. Oh boy. Not good. Not good. However, only 17 children in the United States were affected. Oh. Thanks to a scientist and FDA reviewer <gasps> named Francis Oldham Kelsey. Wow. Born in Cobble Hill, B.C. Damn, a hometown boy. From the island. Hell yeah. Kelsey actually assisted on the diethylene glycol research project in the second year of her doctorate degree at University of Chicago mm-hmm. before being hired on as a drug reviewer for the FDA in 1960. Now, I stress her because when she applied to the University of Chicago, the guy hiring there for this like program that you it was like a work study, the guy hiring thought that her name, Francis, was a man's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, he didn't understand that there were, you know, sort of gender differences in spelling it. Oh, okay. Uh, culturally. And so he was like, I'll hire this man. This is how she got in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so she was, a he- she tested it when it came over to the North American market? Yes, she was hired as a drug reviewer for the FDA in 1960. Wow. And one of the first cases she reviewed was submitted by a company named Richardson Merrill, who were looking to market thalidomide as a tranquilizer and painkiller with specific indications for morning sickness under the trade name Kevadon. Okay, Kevadon. I do recognize that. So they didn't submit any drug trial data with their application. Oh. And Francis sent it right back to them, like, do better, actually. Is this... What year was this? Do you remember? Uh, was so this, this is, this is 1960. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's later so the, when, they, when it's moved on. The West Germany stuff happened between, like, um, 54 and 58. I can't believe... They got away with it for so fucking long. Yeah. And they're like, hey, here's a new drug. We didn't do anything. We didn't look at it at all. It's like, you can't. Because it took them a long time to look at the effects that it was having, the, like, sort of the way children were being born with the physiological differences, and to tie it back to that medication. Oh, wow. 
And yeah, because you're probably taking so much. Yeah. And for wow. it to be so many people. Yeah. I always think about that of like, when's... Actually, we talked about the chips. Remember yeah. the chips? The poopy chips. Where people had a hard time figuring out what it was... Because they're like, well, we we eat so much stuff, and it maybe it was the the shrimp cocktail I had, probably not the chips. And there's so many like wow. whack drugs at that time. Yeah, there's too, so many whack that, drugs. You know, goodness knows. Okay. Um. So, Richards and Merrill tried to push their application through five more times, and each time <gasps> Francis refused them, specifically asking for proof that the drug did not have adverse effects on developing fetuses. And she was vindicated for that doggedness when the connection between thalidomide and the ongoing health crises was proven. Oh, so she wasn't like, her supervisor wasn't like, just let them through. They might have been, oh, but she have, said absolutely like, fucking not. Good, good, good. Oh, wow. The 17 children in the U.S. who were affected were largely the result of free samples being given out by Richards and oh. Merrill and by the medication being brought from overseas. Okay. Is this like the case of the doc, like them pushing it to the doctor? Yeah, because you couldn't advertise oh or you didn't advertise no, the consumer couldn't. in that day and age. Dang. Unfortunately, about 40% of the children affected died at or soon after birth, but many of those who survived are outspoken participants in the fight for disability rights or just out there living their damn lives. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. As a result of Francis Kelsey's work, a 1962 amendment to the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act was passed, requiring manufacturers not just to prove that drugs were safe through animal testing, mm-hmm. but additionally to prove that they actually did what they said they were supposed to do. It took that long? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fun what? fact. I have a fun fact on? for you. Okay. A prominent clinical pharmacologist who advised Congress on the requirements for conducting proper clinical research was named... What? Louis Lasagna. (laughs) Okay. Okay, we got it. We have to. (laughs) He's in the house. (laughs) Does he hate Mondays, too? I think so. Oh, my God. (laughs) And normal. Louis Lasagna. There is such a powerful choice that your parents take. Yeah. Where you have a last name and you're like, we could do a funny. We could. <laughs> we could make it funny. There was, I saw um, uh, Little League uh, softball, mm-hmm. baseball is going on. And there's a kid whose last name is Money. And he has a little brother named Cash. You gotta. You have to. You gotta actually. appreciate it. You, ha- you have you to. You have to. And if I was a little boy named Cash Money, damn. You'd be unstoppable. So powerful. (laughs) The Richie Rich vibe would be, if I was a little boy named Louis Lasagna, powerful. So powerful. So the, the 1962 amendment also required any drug advertising to disclose clear and accurate information about the side effects of the treatment. Yes, we talked about this. Before in other ad creeps, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to thank, I would like to say a big thank you to the man who signed it, John F. Kennedy. You knew not what you did. And if you could watch even an hour of American television in 2023, you'd be like, didn't see that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Because, of course, the drug advertisements the amendment referred to were advertisements for clinicians, usually in trade magazines, conferences, or in-person pitches. I see. Okay. Except for the rare pharmaceutical giant like Merck, who promoted their pneumonia vaccine in consumer print. Mm. Until, Mm. in 1981, in the Shreveport, Louisiana offices of Boots Pharmaceuticals. Boots Pharmaceuticals. (laughs) Job applicant Liz Monch 
suggested that the company bypass doctors altogether and begin <gasps> advertising directly to, to the consumer. Oh, God. Liz! This is why you go down the States and you watch TV and it is on Animal Planet, uh, Food Network. It's just all. It's fucking unwatchable. It's the amount of, like, colitis drugs... Yeah, baby. ...that they have is... I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Irritable bowel syndrome, colitis. Um, those are the two big ones that are big right now down in the States. I hear you that. You should get on that. Oh, I should really think about you it. Really, yeah. Um, ask your doctor. Oh, my God. <laughs> two years later, on May 19, 1983, the first ever television commercial for a prescription drug was broadcast... What was it for? For an ibuprofen-based painkiller named Rufin. Oh, okay. A painkiller. Yeah. Okay. An, an ibuprofen type. Yeah. Within 48 hours of broadcast, the federal government demanded that Boots retract the ad with a cease and desist letter. Mm. According to a Stat News article from Dylan Scott, which gives a fantastic overview of this specific moment in history, absolutely wow. no one in the government was prepared for a drug company to say, <gasps> fuck it, and market directly to the consumer. And they just didn't think it would happen. Yeah. Because all these people are like, corporations are great. No. <laughs> They're our friends. It's interesting. I didn't think about, like, advertisement for Advil and Bayer and stuff. Yeah. Because, like, they're drugs, too, even though <laughs> some of us use them daily. Um, so they have rules. Because the thing is that, obviously, like, these prescription... Well, I mean, things like Advil and stuff, you could advertise because they were over-the-counter. Oh! But we're talking specifically pres- about, like, prescription. prescription. Okay, okay, okay. Though I always get the bear thing where they're like... One, take one of these and it'll help your heart at a heart attack. That's not proven. I know. We talked about we it. We talked about it. <laughs> now, exactly 40 years later, we're in hell. <laughs> we're in colitis. <laughs> Ask your doctor hell. In 1985, the FDA made a call. Drug companies could run TV adverts, but they had to clearly list the side effects and adverse oh possibilities, as in the FFDCA, because the drugs were only available by prescription, and there was really only one directive they could give you. Ask your doctor. Ask your doctor if it's right for you. <sighs> and then in... So, at the, okay. Yeah. Let me... Please. Let me... I'm not going to say devil's advocate, but I'm going to be like... <laughs> let me devil's advocate. Let me put on my trilby and... Okay. The medical system is tough, especially for people who have been marginalized by it. And knowing that you have something wrong with you, Mm -hmm. but doctors not taking you fucking seriously, or they're like, you have to jump through all these hoops to prove that let's do this first. Let's prove it's not depression. Let's prove it's not anxiety. If you have something wrong with you and you see an advertisement and they're like, hey, here is a drug for it. Maybe ask your doctor about it. It probably won't go well, but if you have the ability to push and say, can we try it? I mean, I 100% agree that there should be a greater transparency for the patient. Yes. I don't think our only option should be advertising. advertising. (laughs) Because they are controlling the narrative of what a drug does. Like, what you know, they're picking the name. They're picking the visuals there. They are telling us how what drugs we need in a way that makes them money yeah i just foresee like so i have a bladder disorder that is and told many doctors say it's untreatable you have to just live with it right but i went down the states once and there was a there was a drug for it and it's probably not available in canada but it's one of those things where like if i was down there and i was in so much pain and doctor after doctor told me like this is just your life now yeah i'd be like can we try this can we try this? Yeah. And I wouldn't be aware with it. I mean, we have the internet. I'd probably be able to Google it. 
but having that information. But then at the same time, it's probably very expensive. Yeah. And I mean, the American Medical Association tried really hard to push back on drug ads for consumers. Mm. Like they did not, doctors did not like it. They still don't like it. They didn't want it. No. You know, doctors used to be able to prescribe you something and not tell you what it was called or what it did. Mm. but (laughs) that's bad (laughs) that's bad um but yeah i mean i it's almost in my mind it's almost similar to rainbow capitalism Mm -hmm. where it's like we want you know we want rights we want awareness we want to be able to live our lives yeah but the answer to that is not through people selling us stuff that's true yeah it's more access to the medical system (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) and access to the medical system shouldn't have to come through people trying to sell you things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in 1997 the rules loosened even further allowing Uh, drug companies to make their ads more detailed and specific and between 1995 and 2006 direct-to-consumer advertising spending exploded from 360 million to five billion dollars leading us on a downhill slide to the current day where the very landscape of television commercials has been poisoned by the incurable avarice of big pharma yeah did you know the only two countries where you can see prescription drug ads are the united states and new zealand new zealand yeah i wonder why new zealand it's a great question i don't know is there Um, any kiwis out there but, of course, because all of the United States chums spilleth over onto our airwaves, yeah. technically we have them in Canada, too. Oh, yeah, because we can. Um, New Zealand, do they have privatized health care, I assume? I'm not sure. Oh, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I don't oh. know. Now, I really had to think about what ad to pair with this story. Yeah. Because as a chronically ill person, I'm a little sensitive about it. <laughs> and I don't want to make fun of a medication that someone else is on that I'm not on, because God knows you take whatever you can get in this shit rotten world. Yeah, absolutely. Anything that keeps you going, man. And so the obvious answer to me is to look at a commercial for a drug that I am on. Oh! So here is a commercial for Vedalizumab, a biologic immunosuppressant for moderate to severe colitis and Crohn's disease marketed by Takeda Pharmaceutical Company under the brand name Intivio. I've seen this ad! Oh, they're, they on have... On the American... A lot of ads. I'm watching House Hunters UK, and this <laughs> ad goes on. I'm like, I think that's else. <laughs> Let's watch it together. If you want to see this ad, you can find this link in the episode description or in our sources. Or if you're in America, turn on your Animal fucking planet. television. <laughs> we'll return after these messages. You weren't made for moderate to severe Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but Antivio is. In clinical trials, Antivio helped many people achieve long-term relief and remission. Infusion and serious allergic reactions can happen during or after treatment. Antivio may increase risk of infection, which can be serious. Although unlikely, a risk of PML, a rare, serious, potentially fatal brain infection, cannot be ruled out. Tell your doctor if you have an infection, experience frequent infections, or have flu-like symptoms or sores. Liver problems can occur. It's time to ask your healthcare provider about Antivio. Go to Antivio.com to learn more about the number one prescribed biologic for Crohn's and UC. Welcome back to the show. Oh my god. (laughs) So a little extra information about this medication. Yeah. I I get it every two months. Yeah. uh, As an IV. Yeah. It is unbelievably expensive. It's thousands of dollars for a dose. Jesus Christ. Um, But I am able to get it covered because I live in Canada. And the only reason that they cover it is because other drugs have stopped working. Yes, you had to go through the the, the, the hoops, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, 
this ad is so good <laughs> for even it like I, I'm glad you chose one that you have experience with. Yeah. But also like this ad is so good because I would say 80% of it is warning. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the brain thing? Yeah, I mean, and all this stuff they say is true. Like I do have to be super careful about infections. I this is the reason that I am still masking everywhere, that yeah. I, you know, I'm so concerned about COVID. Like it it is an immunosuppressant. It is very easy for me to get sick and for that sickness to be worse than it is yeah. for people who aren't immunosuppressed. They didn't mention the inflammation, like arthritis and stuff either. Yeah, I mean, there are other uh, side effects that they don't list, like joint pain is one of them. Yeah. You know, um, you can have issues with your organs. You can have just like a slight allergic reaction like I have where you have a, a post-nasal drip. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The brain thing was wild too. Yeah. This ad though is... <laughs> It's a trucker. It's a Which, good if ad. you have colitis, you would think you would pick another... You're in a fucking rough patch, my man. I mean, <laughs> uh, the American highway system it does have, and kudos to it, a very good rest Yeah, stop. that's true. That's and they true. even, I love, and even in this thing, it has like how many miles to the rest, the next rest stop. Yeah. We don't have that here. Again. No, we don't. <laughs> um, but if you were a trucker, man, with any sort of bowel or like, like bladdered thing... God, it would be... Sorry, um... <laughs> you may hear, hear a light skittering. <laughs> it's because Timbit is excited because all his unkies is here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he takes the thing, he yeah. takes the medicine, and he has a huge big rig, and he's carrying a toilet. He has one toilet strapped onto it. And he, he, he makes eyes at the camera like, could you get a load of this? <laughs> Isn't it ironic, don't you think? <laughs> it's like a bunch of uh, forks when you need a knife. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. I, I like, I feel like this guy is a representation of me. He's good. Yeah. yeah. There was another commercial I didn't pick, but it is basically, it was basically my life. Yeah. Where it shows like a woman who's like getting ready to go out. And then it's like, sometimes you don't get to do the things you want to do. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, man, I fucking don't a lot of the time. <laughs> And Indivio has helped with that, but not 100%. That doesn't help with the anxiety. We talked about that last episode, the yeah. anxiety that induces your, your bowel disorder. Absolutely. Boy, like, oh it's made it so that I am much more confident I won't shit myself. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't mean I won't get into situations that are uncomfortable. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> that trucker. <laughs> well, I liked him a I, lot. I liked it. I, that was a great commercial. Yeah. Boy, howdy. It's 2023. Punch up my add punch up my medicine that I, I think take. i will i think i will because <laughs> i'm trying to think about what careers yeah would this be hell oh. trucker trucker is bad absolutely but i got one absolutely. i got another one. Oh, really pilot oh bad 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 to be a pilot bad to be a pilot so is this mm -hmm. is this ad but the pilot and she is she's at the head of the plane and she does makes the same face, like, oh, I gotta go. And, like, kind of nudges the, the co-pilot. Uh, co yeah. And you see her, like, going back and forth. And, like, people... And your worst nightmare. People waiting outside the bathroom. <sighs> Especially on a plane. Outside the plane. And, like, her... I could see, like, the um, stewards, like, bringing her her meal. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I can't eat. Yeah. Because I don't want to poop all the time. Uh, so... <laughs> So we have that, and then she takes the medicine, and then she looks back, and in every seat is a toilet. <laughs> She's working for FedEx. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, this guy. 
she gets this flight covered. covered. And she doesn't have to use any of the toilets that she's hauling. She can deliver them all she pristine them and all. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this is ironic because I did just see a tweet about how an Atlanta flight had to turn back because of massive diarrhea in the aisle. Oh. And it's a biohazard, so they just had to turn yeah. back. Yeah. It's rough. Maybe they were eating some sugar-free gummy bears. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, that's the ad. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think you need a little treat. I would love a little treat, please. I'm trying to see. I'm going to go into my files, and I'm going to see what kind of treat I have for you. Because <laughs> I have so many treats. Okay, I have a treat. Okay. And this is a treat because it features a comedian that I really, really like. Her name is uh, Emily Fleming. Mm. And she used to write for At Midnight. She writes for Rhett and Link. She writes for Good Mythical Morning. Cool. Um, And she was just on a podcast called Alison Rosen is Your Best Friend. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the podcast is her. She is chronically, she's a funny, funny woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And she lives in L.A. Mm-hmm. And she's older. I think she's like us, like mid-30s, okay. whatever. Older. Well, older. <laughs> Meaning she has a lot of trouble dating. Oh, okay. okay. And unfortunately, as she says, she, unfortunately, she's only attracted to cis guys. Oh, no. <laughs> so, and maybe trans men, I don't know. But um, she's like, her dating pool is very bad. Yeah. So she, in a previous tweet... Um, talked about her first thing that she was hired on for Mm -hmm. and it's a local i believe kentucky ad (gasps) oh my god and it's very emily oh it's it's very good so uh please find this ad in your source in our sources and watch along with us my mom always told me when you find your one true love you'll know Yeah, easy for her to say. Things are different now. There are so many choices. Coke or Sprite, lime or cherry. My friends say I'm hard to please, but I'm not. I found my one true love, and it's Minute Mix. Whether I want cherry Coke one day or vanilla Sprite the next, Minute Mix always delivers. I found my one true love, and it's Minute Mix. For a limited time, enjoy any size Minute Mix fountain drink for only 99 cents. Only at Minute Mark. Oh my god, a woman after my own heart. The maniac energy <laughs> Emily brings to everything is so good. It's really good. <laughs> it's really, really nice. Um, I also love the frantic of like, I can't find love, but I can find soda. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. Emotionally, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Um, if oh. you have an ad featuring an actor or comedian that you really love, and mm-hmm. this is their first job, please send it to us. We would love that. At gmail.com. You can also find us on Blue Sky, Co-host, Tumblr, Instagram, and we have a Kofi. Kofi. They're all at ad creeps. Yeah. And... Hey, if you are new to the show and you haven't written us a review, we would love for you to do oh, that. Oh, that's a good one. That would make us so, so happy. It would make us so happy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it also helps other people find our show, which is good, but we don't want too many people to find our show because if they do, we will be litigated within an inch of our lives. <laughs> The wrong people. <laughs> Look, what I what we're saying is tell a transsexual in your life. Exactly. <laughs> That's all. That's just fine. <laughs> Try have you know that one transsexual you have in your life? Tell them. <laughs> it will help us. 
I mean, that's it. That's it. Until next time, we are signing off. Hmm, but first, a word for my spouse.